a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. crashes in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we are so glad you have chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run out there bettering yourself we're gonna help best we can try to get you through with some gaming goodness in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes because dlc is your downloadable conversation for the week Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors, Blue Apron, Untuck It, and Sherry's Berries. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is the soul gem in my Infinity Gauntlet, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, audience. Oh, I thought maybe I was going to be your uh, Game 7 or some basketball-related thing. But no, Mm. you went for the movie that no one has seen. I am shocked at how poorly Infinity Ward is doing at Infinity Ward. Infinity Ward is doing at the box office. That's where Thanos has all his babies at the Infinity Ward. Well, that's where he, he also is making the next Call of Duty there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, big week. Uh, big week for all kinds of things, including that movie. And really, uh, we're going to have some fun things to talk about. We got cool news. We got a, a big game announcement. We have uh, games we've been playing. But man, if you're talking Marvel, uh, it's the it's the perfect week to have this guest back. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because once again, DLC stands for Dazzler's longtime champion because <laughs> you know him as former writer at Insomniac and at Machinima and all over the place, really. Uh, but I know him as the biggest Dazzler fan on the internet. That's Marvel's Dazzler, Mr. Brandon Winfrey. Hello, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for that intro. Yes, I mean, I was 
I guess, you know, no spoilers, but when Dazzler showed up in Infinity War, I was shocked. <laughs> you, yeah, they, you must have gone out of your mind. They got that cameo in Rogue. I'm surprised they didn't do another Fox, you know, property, but, you know, they went right for Dazzler. My so. understanding was that's the entire reason they purchased Fox, was to get Dazzler. Uh, yeah, oh, Dazzler. no. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a good good purchase on that part. <laughs> Is this where I announced my, uh, that they officially purchased an option to my Dazzler Jubilee script? Because it's happening, you guys. Oh, it's Dazzler jubilee the the pairing we've all we didn't know we wanted it's called dazzler jubilee colon all of the lights and, <laughs> light uh, of the night <laughs> yeah perfect. uh another great reason that brandon is uh, a guest this week is because he grew up born and raised in memphis yeah and, yeah and christian you just got back from memphis right I did. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Uh, I was visiting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis. They flew me out there um, to kind of do a tour of the hospital and see, play some games with some kids and, and see what the doctors are doing in the research and just kind of talk about it. I've been a big fan and supporter of St. Jude for a while and I've raised some money for them over the years. And each year, this time of year, they do a big um, event, a play live event where they bring a bunch of gamers in and streamers. And it's kind of a big fundraiser for them where they realize the reach that um, this generation can have and that video games can have and the positivity that gaming can bring to kids. And um, they brought you in to dunk on some some kids in the hospital. No, Just we to played school them at, at your, with your mad PUBG skills or something. We played Smash and Mario Kart, and let me tell you, um, those kids are good at Smash and Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt it. Uh, what characters do they gravitate towards in Smash? I'd actually be interested. Um, there is a lot of Falcon in Smash okay, that, yeah. that was being played. There's a lot of um, oh man, don't. Uh, don't blink on me now. There's a decent amount of Mario, but you know, not that strong of Mario game. Right. Um, uh, my Pokemon knowledge, Chizard, Charizard, Charizard. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I would say him and Falcon were the two main dominators in, um, in Smash were playing on Wii U. And then Mario Kart, uh, Mario and Peach were just dominating, dominating the dojo. Um, but I'm doing it again for this month, starting now until the end of May. Um, I, I'm try I want to raise $5,000 for them is my goal. And I think we can do it. Uh, I would love your help. The link is a little, uh, annoying, but I'll have it by the time you listen to this, I'll have it on my website. So you can find it at christianspicer.com, but your donations go 100% to St. Jude. They're 100% tax deductible. And I have some fun, silly milestones in there that if we hit these things, I'll, um, Dye my hair blonde, dye it oh, pink, wow. shave my head, or buzz it down to a two. I don't think you um, even needed to add those things. Just uh, raising $5,000 to get you <laughs> to go to Memphis to get schooled by a bunch of children again. I think that sells itself, honestly. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to do it with $5,001 donations, to be perfectly honest. It's like the power of many helping others. And right. um, I'll talk more later uh, on ALTMM or on my Twitter about what I like about St. Jude so much. But... Um, all of the research they do to help kids fight cancer is given away freely to other hospitals around the world so that they can benefit. And every child that goes there, they pay for nothing, absolutely nothing. Them and their family, food, travel, expenses, lodging, all of the medicine, all of the care they receive. And it's it's really, really great work. So I encourage you um, to help me uh, raise money so that these kids can beat cancer. And again, I'll have a link on my website, christianspicer.com. I'll also have it pinned at the top of my Twitter, which is at Spicer. And also, uh, Brandon, Memphis, man, that pyramid 
Yes. What? There's a real pyramid there. There is a pyramid. It used to be something, and now it is a corporate empire, essentially. <laughs> is, I, I tell you, I went there like the first month because it was a big deal when that – basically, there's a pyramid there. It used to be a stadium. Then it wasn't. And now it's a uh, – gosh, Bass Pro Shop world. And when I say world, it's intense. It is a destination for that city for people there's to go a, there. There's a swamp in it with like mm-hmm. boats floating. Like, it's, it's a thing. Yes, Just like the real it's... pyramids, swamps with boats. <laughs> Authentic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we always end the show by saying make the world a better place. Uh, and uh, I think this is a great way to do it. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to uh, lend my support and my dollars as well, Christian. So uh, I hope lots of our listeners do as well. So again, ChristianSpicer.com is where you'll find that link. All right, let's jump into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, there's some uh, interesting stuff going on this week. Uh, Brandon, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, what would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, since uh, Square Enix invited me to go out and see Shadow of the Tomb Raider, their first reveal, I guess I will I will choose that because it's a new game in a AAA franchise, and that's always worth some news. But yeah. have pyramids? <laughs> yes, there were no pyramids in there, actually. I don't know what they have. <laughs> in Mayan culture. Um, but yeah, so I think this was Thursday night is when they did their reveal mm-hmm. for the game. Cause obviously shock everyone. There's a third Tomb Raider game coming out September 14th, I think that's right. Uh, yep. September 14th. Uh, and yeah, I, I got there. It was a, it was at the mine, which is a place downtown. Very fitting. It looked amazing, of course, but then the actual, what they're doing with the game, I, I think looks interesting because essentially what they're saying is this is the conclusion of this, Laura Croft trilogy of her like becoming Tomb Raider. Yeah, it's like her sense. origin trilogy, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the things they've evolved is they were like, okay, the first one it was kind of new, and then the second one like we expanded the world, like as far as like her gathering resources and stuff, and now it's about her dominating the world. Hmm. So I think, <laughs> wait, yeah, which is, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she just bow and arrows everything. That sounds know, like a bad crazy. guy, you know, like <laughs> well, yeah. But also, I think that goes in correlation with like the emotional arc of this one is it's like okay laura's killed a lot of people for two games so now this game she's gonna be like what have i been doing and kind of which honestly i've thought has been a lot of the games have kind of dealt with that but this one apparently has it more head-on um in its approach and naturally overall it's a darker tone i would say uh something they wanted to do is is make the tombs terrifying um so that's actually i i in from the gameplay i played about 45 minutes of it and I can I can definitely see that. I can definitely see the tombs, how scary they are in you know, conjunction with the are in, you know, opposition to the last ones, which still cool and, and bright, but these wanna scare you, which I think is cool. And also I think Are we talking like jump scares? Or are we talking No, I, I'd say just the uh, aesthetically, like maybe jump scare wise, but like aesthetically they are creepy. Yes, they're creepy, which I, I didn't get from the other ones. Right. Um as much, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's uh, something that I've wanted from my tomb raiding. Is I want it to be scarier or uh, be frightened of of entering the tombs. I like the fact that the I mean, Rise of the Tomb Raider, 
Chris and I both loved. It was our uh, show's game of the year, the year it came out, like two or three years ago. And uh, we, so we're big fans of that game, loved that game. Uh, and I loved the, the the fact that there were so many tombs in it that were optional, but they were they were sort of little puzzles and really yeah, cleverly yeah, designed great. and stuff. I don't know if I ever came out of them going, man, I wish there was more tension and fear in here. Well, too bad. That <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> I, I Fair enough. Specific. Like, you know, I, mean, I think it make, if it makes sense in the story in some way, I don't know if Mayan tombs are perhaps more terrifying or grotesque than others, but I, I hope there's a a world justification for it. Brandon, what I'm super curious about though, is uh, what you played it on and how it looked and felt. Cause after the, what went public was this very shiny trailer. Right. And in the yeah. day and age where everything is like gameplay footage or even like the naughty dog stuff, it says like rendered on a PS4 or, you know, whatever that kind of thing. This right. very clearly said not actual gameplay. And I was like, that's interesting. And then reports came out that people got to play it. So they had gameplay yes. available, right? Back yes. Line. I think they just wanted their, you know, their, their initial reveal trailer to be CG so they could cut that down for digital ads and all that jazz they like to do nowadays. Um, but no, I played it on Xbox One dev kits. Um, I assume on 4K TVs. I don't know why they would do that and not have it on 4K, but uh, it was beautiful. Like, it was gorgeous. I actually just beat Rise uh, a little while ago because I went through Uncharted 4. I was going through my backlog, essentially. I was like, I want to play Uncharted 4. I beat that, and I was like, all right, now it's time for Rise. And <laughs> Rise is also beautiful on the Xbox yeah. One X. Uh, and this one, yeah, it looked amazing. It starts off uh, more of like a slow walk through because it's, like it's like a Dia de los Muertos festival, and the lighting is really – again, everything is darker. Like It's like moonlight, stuff like that, moonlight and um, rain which is almost a little similar to how to Uncharted 4 revealed itself with the moonlight tech or whatever mm-hmm. that was. Um, but it looked, yes, it looked absolutely gorgeous. And some of the mechanics, I think, are going to evolve the franchise in ways that I enjoy. Because honestly, my favorite part of those games is jumping and climbing stuff, right? Like yeah, that's, for sure. Like yeah. figuring that puzzle element out. So she has some new moves in her arsenal, which were apparent right off the bat, which was cool. So it's the same standard like climbing stuff, but now you can repel off of so anywhere you are, if you're just on a cliffside, you can repel off of it and just go down and start hanging and then swing from that, you know, repel. Hmm. So I think that's gonna have open up a lot of uh you know elements of how you get around within gameplay structure and I, it's always yeah. been sort of like the Uncharted games where it's point to point. You gotta, it's more about finding the correct route than yes. anything else. Is, that, is it feel a little more freeform than that now with that added ability or no? I, I'd say yes, but I think what it does is kind of wrap back to their, what they wanted to do in general, which is, you know, make, heighten the gameplay and make it a little bit more scary. Cause now mm-hmm. you're talking about when you look, when you gaze over, a landscape of how you're supposed to get somewhere. There's huge gaps, like hmm. stuff that you wouldn't be able to do before. But now with the repel, you're able to kind of do that and, and get by it. So it's cool. I think I think that's what they were going for, and it's something that sets it apart from Uncharted a little bit. Um, so, I think it, but they're different games at this point. Honestly. Definitely, yeah, I agree with that for sure. I, I they it they feel like they have. Uh, enough differentiators to make them definitely feel like unique franchises. And I like, right. I'm glad about that. Um, I, and I'm super excited about this game. I, like I said, love the last two. 
I'm super excited to see where the story goes. I feel like the story has always, has been strong in these last two installments. The, the where you go and what you get to do has been super strong. Very very excited. Mm-hmm. But I think Christian brings up a really strong point, which is for somebody that didn't go to the event, like myself, I was busy having a child. Um, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the way this was rolled out seems bizarre and a little uh, unfortunate. Uh, it, it's <laughs> I get the fact that, that we are in this place with video game marketing and, and PR now where there are these stages and we want to have the first thing be this kind of slick, uh, you know, commercial like CG trailer. And then you, you have, you, it builds you up the ability to say the next stage is a cool gameplay reveal and that. But if you're doing an event where people are playing it anyway, why even have the not actual gameplay trailer, especially when the not actual gameplay trailer didn't actually look better than the game. The game <laughs> itself, I think, looks better than the CG trailer. And the CG trailer, honestly, again, I'm excited for this game. I, I love this franchise. But man, that CG trailer was not strong. For, for the ability to go and do anything because you're not tethered to actual gameplay footage, it really felt kind of uninteresting and and uh, pedestrian. I just don't get it. I don't get the, I mean, I know they were plagued with some leaks that messed up their scheduling a little bit, but just show us the game. I mean, they, sh- they showed the people that went to the event. It, well, I don't, I don't understand this tactic. Yeah. I, I don't know. It could have been a thing where their PR got messed up. Like originally, maybe this wasn't supposed to happen and they're supposed to do the reveal here and then have gameplay at a separate thing. Yeah. And then it, it kind of felt maybe a little bit like that because honestly, the event was you walked in, there was a present, like a real quick presentation basically about the pillars of the franchise and how they're evolving them, which I liked. Like it was short and then they were like, go and play the game. Uh, so it was, it, it was interesting, but I can, I can definitely see your point because yeah. It's, yeah. Anyhow. As you said, September 14th, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Windows PC. Uh, we will, I'm sure, get lots more details uh, about the game as we get closer to it. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely excited for this. This is going to be a big fall release and one I am eagerly anticipating. Uh, yes. Christian, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, I, I'm good. I also am excited about the game. I, I think it's an unfortunate release period for it, but I, I hope it I hope it manages to to track well and people give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. What is your story of the week then, Christian? My story of the week this week is um, speaking at Reboot Develop last week. Mike Wilson, who is a um, he is the co-founder of Devolver Digital and Good Shepherd, he was talking about the difficulties of indie development. And we, you know, this stuff kind of comes up from time to time, and you get different anecdotes about it. There was a talk at GDC about, um, and, I, and I forget the individual who gave the speech. I apologize, but it was. The, the, the thesis was kind of, you're not going to make money on your game. You know, all these games come out. Most of them don't pay a livable wage. Most of them don't pay minimum wage. You think about the hours, like think about what you're doing before you go out into it. And uh, what Mike was saying is that, or the kind of the core of this speech was this idea that developers are obligated or expected to have a direct conversation with their audience and on a regular basis throughout development. And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with the conversation we just had about Tomb Raider and its reveal. Because I think even for larger games, that is a thing now, um, where, you know, whether it be Insomniac or 343 or Bungie, you know, people 
rake Bungie over the coals for not being direct enough or talking to people enough about the development or what changes they're doing. And, and Mike talked about that for indie games, these are very small teams trying to do something very hard, you know, making a game and make a game that stands out and how the gaming community, especially the vocal or on Twitter gaming community can be full of uh, some awful people, some trolls and some people that want to tell you how bad you're doing and why your game looks dumb. And uh, he kind of was just talking about why indies are having such a hard time where it's this mix of noise from fans, trolls, and then you're trying to work on this game, but also foster this community so that it can stand out and just kind of the harsh realities of, of development today. And I think stories like this are important to give airtime to one, to remind everyone that these are humans that make the games. Like when Corey had his, when he read reviews for God of War, I think that was a great moment for it. And two, I think to remind people how small some of these teams are that make some of your favorite games, be it Celeste or Shovel Knight or um, even Rocket League, you know, in comparison. Yeah. And even Ted even Price. Even Sunset Overdrive, right? Right, Brandon? Yes. I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. That's what Ted talked about for Spider-Man. The last Game Informer video was Ted's like, you know, we're a small team. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Brandon, on, on Sunset, like you guys – we're fostering a new community with an Xbox One exclusivity, also making this game, also listening to fan feedback. And because you're on the show, Brandon, and you can, whatever you can say publicly to speak to it generally, I'm curious what your take on this was when you were in active development and kind of how you've seen it change since. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's almost the, if you look at kind of the evolution of, because I, I think it's honestly a community management like thing at its core it's almost very similar to community management and how you manage it and then it's like we went through this time where there's no community management we just released games great and then it was like oh let's foster community with really multiplayer games i think is what made community management a thing and social media as well obviously and then it was like okay now social media people our community managers are essentially i felt like a fire guard because when i started insomniac i was a community manager and those I was like during the Fuse days, and like I actually enjoy Fuse, but a lot of people didn't enjoy Fuse uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, and at that at that time, you're just basically trying to not necessarily fight a community, but you're trying to explain to them why they might enjoy it or why it might not be for them, even if it's kind of against what you have been in the past. So that was interesting, and I think that's a unique thing that faces AAA developers. But but now with Indie developers, it's it's kind of like I think honestly, early access games are kind of the ones that get boned by this the most. Because if you think about it, like at game studios, you have milestones and you have roadmaps and and all that kind of stuff. So it's literally like when you're making a game, it's like okay, here's what we need to do to make it. All right, this month we'll have this done. It's like anything else, you know what I mean? Um, but then, essentially early access titles take away that last part of development, which is honestly mm. the hardest part because you, you build the core of the game and then you release it and then you're still trying to put all the pieces together, but it's out there in the open and everyone has an opinion on what they want from it. Yeah. So I think a lot of these early access games, what they don't do successfully is tell people exactly what their roadmap is. So that yeah, way, the, the early in early access is a huge spectrum, right? And it's one yes. it's one heading under which a game can be a, a variety of games can be at a whole bunch of different states of being finished, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think just like if you don't give 
a direct roadmap and say, these are the pillars or these are the main features that are going to come and drop. Then you're going to have your whole community asking for features and basically all of a sudden designing a different game than what you have. Like you can make small change. You can respond to a community on small changes, like stuff that's going to be number changes in the code or something like that. Or if they really want, you know, obviously there can be bigger things as well, but sometimes Honestly, people just want a different game than what you have made. And I I think a lot of indie developers, if they're making something and people want something different, then it just gets jumbled, right? It's almost like too many cooks, except the cooks are people online who don't actually know how to cook, even though they have <laughs> the best intentions. You know what I mean? That's the biggest part of, that I took away from this this speech by Mike Wilson is he's basically saying it's Dunning Kruger, right? It's a bunch of people who have no knowledge of the topic from the inside thinking they have a, a, an expert level knowledge of the topic and applying a bias to the people making the game based on information that is just flat out wrong. Yeah. And, you know, they're, you know, it's like, uh, it's a strange thing that video games somehow, I guess because uh, just the, the nature of it being a hobby for young people that feels, uh, you know, it started out with a couple of people in their garage making stuff and has become, you know, these massive teams and, and huge budgets. It, I guess people somewhere along the way lost the thread of how things are made because, um, you know, you know, you wouldn't have somebody with a, a new car going like, uh, this is dumb. The, 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 the wheels should be like six inches farther back. It's like, well, in order to do that, you would have to redesign the entire chassis of the, the, we'd have to go back and, you know, it's the equivalent of that, of you don't understand what it would take to move the wheels in the car six inches either side. You know, nobody says it like that about anything other than video games, but for right. some reason, video games feel like, Hey, why did you just do this? Or people, go ahead. It's not understanding, uh, and Bungie, I think, had one interesting podcast about it when they had their community feedback. It's people not understanding the differences that are required to make changes. And part of that is because, yeah, they've never cooked before. And the industry also, I think, not to put blame on the industry, but it's not very clear what is required to make these things. So it's one like, Oh, this gun is, uh, OP. And then they're able to fix it overnight. But then it's like, Oh, my jump is too floaty. And they're like, we can't fix that. And I think to the lay person, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And maybe in a different game that's reversed and the jump mechanic is easy to change, but because of the code that this game is based on to implement this change in how a sparrow is done, is can't be done in this game. And it seems like it should be an easy fix. So you have these people that it doesn't make sense why one thing can be changed and why one thing can't be changed. And then added to that though, developers or publishers or community managers trying to engage a community are actively asking for feedback, but they're not asking for a B style feedback. It's like, it's kind of a floodgate is opened, but they can't do half the things that are suggested, but you want to have this dialogue of like, all right, this game's out in early access. We want your help. And like, that's always the Kickstarter video or the pitch videos. Like you're going to have a say, we want you to contribute. And then people are like, all right, game on knuckle crack type, 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 type. Here's everything I want fixed. And then we, d- we just meant, do you want your car to be red or blue? <laughs> like we can't, we can't do all that. So I, I think there's issues. It's a complex issue and I don't know if it'll ever be ironed out because neither side is as clear as they could be, if that makes sense. 
It was an interesting discussion. I mean, an interesting talk at this event. He also talked about how, you know, these crunch weeks and the sort of working conditions that game developers just routinely have to deal with. And nobody seems to bat an eye that people work seven days a week and 90 hours (laughs) and don't see their families for a month at a time before the game comes out. And it's just the way it is. Um, So, you know, hopefully at some point this, all of this stuff gets a little less insane and, um, you know, we remember that human beings make these things and we treat them like human beings. You know, I, I remain optimistic that we can all regain our humanity somehow in this, this crazy world we live in. Yeah. Yeah. The, the crunch thing is, is reared its head again, I think, because of, did y'all talk about the 90 hour week comment that that one dev made? Yeah. I mean, you're welcome to comment on it. You, you certainly have more information about that than we would. Yeah, I mean, obviously, crunch is crunch is a thing, and it's because we just have accelerating expectations, but we don't have necessarily accelerating tech right now. Yeah, um, it's still getting better. Obviously, it's getting easier to do things, but the level of detail that's kind of required um, is just kind of astronomical right now. Uh, if you look at something like everyone, you know, because everyone's like, we want an Uncharted 4 level AAA game. And it's like, okay, well, they had like 500 people across a few different studios doing it. Right. Uh, and, I mean, did you all read the EA report about um about their, the Star Wars game? Uh, yes. It was, yeah, yeah, like that, I, that was, I think that was a very realistic look. And, and a lot of developers, I think, have now been able to manage it properly. But I just think it's almost... It's it's almost a thing you expect, which is not necessarily great, but I think it's something that it's like, okay, that's going to be crunch at this time. Hopefully we have done our milestones properly and it won't be too bad, but probably in order to ship this thing, that's what will happen. Like that's, and that's where I think the hidden roadmap is interesting. That's why I think AAA games get a little bit of, of a lighter benefit because they're not early access because it's like internally they have stuff that they're cutting like crazy. Yeah. Like as it gets close, they're like, okay, well, we're not going to do that. So let's cut it. It's not going to be able to release. Like, because you think a lot of these AAA games have you mean to like be a single out. player campaign for Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? You know, just throw a hundred people on a map and let them go at it. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's all you need. It seems to work. Um, yeah, but like, if because if you think about these AAA games, realistically, a lot of them have to be finished, like content complete is what it's called, like two or three months before the actual release. Because then those rest of the times are go, it's going through certification and it's trying to you know iron out the very critical bugs. Right. So it's it's not like. I don't know, it's tough. It's tough. And I know, like, dev cycles are getting longer, but, I mean, look at God of War. God of War was amazing, but God of War also took, like, five, six years to make. Yeah, like, I actually, on Twitter yeah. this week, somebody uh, at, you know, at replied me and said, oh, my God, I love God of War. How come every game can't be like this? And I wrote back, uh, he said something like, somebody in the industry needs to give me a reason why every game can't look and feel like this. And I wrote back, here's two, time, money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. really, it's the, it's the fact that, Sony Santa Monica was able to work on that game for five years. And And even that game, Corey talked about the crunch and he talked about it as a, he's like, yeah, it's a real thing, but we never asked anyone to stay late. It's just because people are passionate about it. And there's a a whole other conversation about like asked versus (laughs) expected. Mike Mike Wilson (laughs) talks about that in his reboot thing. He was like, he's saying it's a culture of like, bro, 
you know, even if nobody's asking you to work 90 hours, it's like, well, we're all staying. Are you staying? You know, it's that kind of thing too. Yeah. So it's, it, there's a lot of problems, but I think this dovetails nicely into the next topic that I wanted to bring up for story of the week, which, because I, I think a seed of a solution to this, maybe not a complete solution, but, but something that may help in the long run, I hope is uh, to do something more along the lines of what Bethesda seems to be doing, which is, we're not talking about the game until it's very close to being done. We're just not even going to talk about it. We're not going to have a conversation with the audience. We're not going to even announce it. We're not going to tell you what we're working on until it's very close to being done. I think that may actually help. And, you know, we're coming up to an E3 very soon. I'm getting invites and all kinds of crazy stuff already. And we, you know, Bethesda has uh, their annual press conference. I have no idea anything that Bethesda is going to be. T- I mean, there's rumors of this uh, this space uh, RPG game. I'm very hopeful that's oh, true. Anthem. It's called Anthem. No, I think it's called Star something. Oh no no no! It's Star um, Citizen. Star <laughs> Citizen. Star yeah. Citizen. That's the one. yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, uh, but the but the the fact of the matter is, you know, they're just not talking about stuff until it, it comes out. And uh, we also found out this week that Nintendo who sits out E3 officially, but also has a big Nintendo Direct presentation in the slot where their, you know, their uh, press conference would have been, is going to be pretty much exclusively talking about Smash Brothers on Switch. And last year, that that worked out pretty well for them, having one game that they, that they focused on. That strategy uh, was Super Mario Odyssey, and that game, you know, was a huge hit. Great game. Uh, and it was pretty much the only thing they talked about. Of course, they talked about some other third party stuff, some DS stuff, you know, they, they, they fill out the discussion rather well. And there's a Yoshi game we know about. There's a Fire Emblem game we know about. Probably will be talked about. But for all intents and purposes, it's a single game E3 strategy that Nintendo is employing. This year, that game is Super Smash Brothers, which we know about, uh, has just been announced. Brendan, I'm curious is this a good thing? Is this enough? Is a Smash Brothers game? And it's one thing to have an, a Mario game that is completely new and different kind of Mario game to focus on. And it's sort of the coming out party for what this game even is. But we kind of know what a Smash Brothers game is. Is yeah. that going to be enough for Nintendo? I I think so. This is probably <laughs> me being biased, but I love Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. It's the reason I will get a Switch, officially. Um, because I, I it's... What they're able to do with Smash Brothers is is almost they've hit all they've done so good so far. They were able to do it with Breath of the Wild, boom, hit it, knocked it out of the park, boom. A new, you know, Mario Brothers, great, knock it out of the park. And now this kind of caters to more of that. It's weird because you think Nintendo, whatever they do at E3, is they always cater specifically to the hardcore. Because they know that's exactly their audience. But every other marketing for Nintendo is very focused on family stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like really they go hard at E3, and then the rest of the year they know they're like Nintendo Labo. Like they promote Nintendo Labo like crazy. Like I, I don't think people understand how much Nintendo markets. It's just it doesn't market, market to you or me anymore. Like it's always at like a lower uh, – like families and stuff like that or, mm-hmm. or you know younger kids. So I think it's enough. I think it's what they have to do here because I think the rest of the – otherwise their lineup is – I won't say weak, but it's it's 
less than what it has been as far as like big giant titles. So new Smash Brothers, as long as it is a new one and not a kind of remaster with some changes a la you know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, then I do, I do think it's enough. I think it's enough. Remember they did this uh, a couple years ago with Smash 4 where it was just that's the first time they were like, we're only going to have basically one game right. on our show floor and everyone's going to play it. So I think it's enough. All right. Well, Christian, what do you do? You agree? Yeah, I, I agree with 100%. It needs to be a new game, and they need to show enough characters. They can't just show, like, and here's, like we said, the Inklings are in it, and that's it. They need to give a, a sizable chunk and have a decent number of characters to play, and that will that that will do very well for Nintendo in terms of dominating press coverage and getting their hardcore very excited. And then tournaments, getting hands-on with that, maybe a GameCube controller adapter again or something like that. There's a lot of stuff they can do around this game that will get people very excited. Maybe they'll even officially announce an actual sanctioned tournament <laughs> or, or some form of, you know, they, they advertised the Switch way back when as being this eSport device. They were doing it with Splatoon 2. But imagine if Nintendo actually put their weight behind the eSport of uh, Smash. I think there's a lot they could do here with this game that would be huge at E3. Well, you guys are certainly bigger Smash fans than I am, so I'll defer to your <laughs> opinions on this one. It uh, it feels a little bit disappointing. Maybe there'll be some surprises. Maybe we'll get a glimpse of that Metroid that is still probably two years away. Um, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be things I don't expect, but it certainly seems like Nintendo is laying their cards out on the table, and as they have done in previous years. When they do this, it tends to be that's they weren't lying. <laughs> there was no there was no big reveal. It really was all Super Mario Odyssey. You know, their entire booth looked like uh, New Donk City. It was so I expect more of the, more of that, and it's had has worked for them. So so you know, if it ain't broke, I guess. Oh man, I just want their booth. They, they're like ran someone's on the top on scaffolding, just like dropping prizes in randomly. <laughs> oh, when it's time for you to leave their booth, they just shove you out really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I still think the best marking they could do for this game, honestly, if the entire booth for them was in the middle, it was an arena, like a boxing arena, like wrestling, and they just had mascot characters going at it, and there was just, you know, commenting <laughs> on club? it. Yes, that'd be amazing. As um, someone who's played a mascoted character or a person in costume at E3 before, Brandon, is this something that you'd want to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I would, if I didn't have to talk, like, honestly, the talking was the thing that killed me most. I, I don't yeah. see how you can do more damage talking to my body. Talking is worse than fighting. You you'd rather yeah. have somebody punch you in the face than talk. I think my throat was real sore. It was real sore. <laughs> All uh, right, guys, I, let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, to talking about the games we have been playing. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, this, I love talking about Blue Apron because, uh, as you guys know, if you've listened to the show before, I really believe that Blue Apron has changed my life uh, for the better. It, I, I love living in a world where Blue Apron exists. I recommend it to everybody. Anytime I go to a party, I ask people, do you, do you guys know about Blue Apron? Every doctor that came in while Jeff's uh, second child was being born, it was like, oh, thanks, doc. Quick question. Though. Quick question about something. the Blue Apron. <laughs> no, honestly, though, you, I mean, you joke, but... I was just having this conversation the other day about uh, – I've just had my second child this week, and I was saying how much I love the fact that honestly because of Blue Apron, my kids are going to grow up in a household where we like prepare food together. And uh, I you know, I cook for the family, and, and mealtime is – sacrosanct and you know we see the food that we're going to eat and we know what goes into it because i make it and i wouldn't have happened i wouldn't i wasn't that guy 
before Blue Apron because I didn't want to deal with the hassle of figuring out what to make, going to the store, buying the ingredients, having too many of the ingredients when I'm done making the thing and then it just goes bad in the fridge. All of those hassles, Blue Apron has completely eliminated because they give you just the amount of ingredients you need. They have delicious meals, delicious recipes that you can choose from to build out your menu every week and uh, almost never repeats. It's always a huge, there's a huge variety of delicious meals. Let me read to you what I made this week. Uh, shrimp and tomato spaghettini with garlic oregano breadcrumbs. Absolutely delicious. You know, shrimp, pasta. It was so good. Um, I, you know, you, you, you can make it in a very short amount of time. I've become skilled at like chopping things. I enjoy it. It really has changed my life for the better. And there's uh, a, a new promotion for six weeks from April 16th through May 21st. Blue Apron is teaming with Airbnb, Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, the Blue Apron menu will feature a recipe developed in collaboration with an Airbnb experience host like Cece, a chef from Shanghai who makes incredible Kung Pao chicken, a beloved sticky sauce mix of crispy browned chicken and vegetables. It is, uh, it, it's a really cool thing that they're doing. And this is an example of how much the variety uh, improves my life. Because even when I was single or when I was dating, even when I made something myself, which wasn't very often, it would be like the same four things over and over and over. Cause I knew how to make those things I could make. I had the salmon that I could make. So like anytime I wanted to impress a girl, I made the salmon, but then I, you know, I made that once and it's like, well now I got to make the salmon again. Cause that's all I know how to make with blue apron. It's a new recipe. The, the recipes are always really delicious and really uh, they're healthy because you know, what's going into them. The, all the, the ingredients are fresh. You only get exactly what you need. There's, convenience. There's flexibility because, uh, there's 12 new rep new recipes every week and you can pick two, three or four of them based on what you need for your schedule. Non GMO ingredients, meat with no added hormones. It's great. I honestly love it. And guess what? We're going to give you three meals free. If you go to blueapron.com slash DLC, that's blueapron.com slash DLC. You'll get three meals free on us to check it out, see how it can change your life like it has changed mine. Boy, I love it. Uh, so give them a shot. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Brandon, let's start talking about what is on your playlist. What have you been playing lately? Sweet. Yes, I'm actually very disappointed in myself because i have not been able to catch up with all the newness like far cry 5 god of war i have not played yet i've passively watched my roommate play god of war seems fantastic i'm excited to play eventually um but Are you just like waiting for your roommate to finish so you can be like okay my turn absolutely yes he uses my xbox enough that i can just just take that but you've got uh, you've got spoilers happening right in front of you or you just don't care about that well, he's usually playing like arenas and stuff when I go in. Oh, okay. Like it's fine. All and right. someone's shouting boy. I, I've seen all the memes, so I feel like <laughs> I, I pretty much know the gist. But I haven't seen any of the crazy boss fights. So that's what I'm excited to kind of experience. Cool. Um, but I did the other night I started Assassin's Creed Origins just because I was like, yeah, let's do this. I haven't played Assassin's Creed. <laughs> 
game since uh, G's Revelations, so I'm like finally ready for one. It sounds like you're you're not thinking your roommate's going to be done anytime soon if you're starting a you know sixty yeah. hour experience. <laughs> That's fair. I expect it'll take me a while to get through Origins, but um, yeah, I just started. I played like two hours of it and really just had. I just had fun running around. It's beautiful. I was kind of surprised at how gorgeous it looked. And yeah, yeah it was good. I hadn't played a God of War, or not God of War. Uh, I hadn't played a uh, Assassin's Creed. an Assassin's Creed game in a long time. And it, it feels good. And the combat's way different. It takes a little bit more thought <laughs> instead of just what it was before. So that was really enjoyable. I like the new setting. Um, Are I we like talking writing. about God of War or Assassin's Creed? No, 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 no. Creed? Assassin's Creed. Can you ride a camel? On, uh, I don't want to spoil anything about God of War. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, very very big that, in Norse uh, mythology is that camel riding stuff. It's true. It's yeah. true. That's why, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> um, I also, uh, I hadn't played Hots in a, Here's the Storm in a very long time. And I actually started playing it this week a little bit again. <gasps> oh, yeah. we talk about Here's the Storm? Yeah, well, so I'm, I've been super out of, ever since Overwatch came out, I kind of tempered my Here's the Storm addiction. Right. Um, what brought you back? I, I, I think I'm going to go to Heroes of the Dorm, and I was like, mm-hmm. I should brush up on some knowledge. Um, I'm so bad at it. I just I forgot <laughs> that you lose you lose your MOBA fingers so quickly. Um, but it's fun. I enjoy the brawls. Like, I hadn't played with all the new Overwatch heroes, like oh, wow. Junkrat and, and everything like that. Yeah. So it was – I think Tracer was added, like, right when Overwatch came out, so I played her a little bit. But, but yeah, Heroes of the Storm is still consistently fun. I still love that I can get – you know, a, a satisfying match in 20 minutes. Whereas, right. I, cause I came from the league of legends world where it was like hour. an hour yeah. and I would lose. And you know, that wasn't great. Do you, have you tried Deckard Kane yet? He just came in this week. No, I haven't. Is he fun? He's real fun. Yeah. Yeah. He was the big PAX East announcement. And, uh, you know, he's from Diablo. He's the, uh, the old man who says, uh, stay a while and listen. He's, you know, kind of a comedic, uh, narrator, character so putting him into this crazy brawling game uh is 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 a bit wacky and i love that i love how wacky it is but it's cool he like he throws out diablo potions on the ground and and your team can pick them up so you're literally like getting diablo potions strewn about the battlefield and he has the heraldric cube that he can use it's it's really cool yeah it's just fun it's it's a fun moba and i i want to keep it in rotation just because it it is very enjoyable to play so hopefully i do go to heroes of the dorm um so i can see what that's about like i have been to uh two out of the three heroes of the dorms and it is a fantastic event um i i loved loved going to heroes of the dorms. i think it's back in la this year right yeah yeah it's at yeah. the overwatch arena so oh, rad yeah 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 cool. um but yeah other than that uh also i i should talk about have you guys played slay the spire I love that. I haven't played the new third hero yet, though. Yes, yes. So Slay the Spire is also something that I kind of always go back to for the new updates. And that, and actually, if you don't know what it is for the for the listeners, it's it's like a deck building card game with roguelike elements. So it's like it's like Dominion mixed with Binding of Isaac. So it's like two of these worlds that I love combined. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. And I honestly think it. What we talked about earlier about indie devs having a hard time kind of managing their community. If you look at what he's able to do with his stuff, it's he does it perfectly because he gave a roadmap. He's like, we're going to have a third character by summer, and then by like midsummer, that's when I want to release the game officially. And he, I think it, it's a little bit easier on him because he's tweaking card balances and stuff if people are in uproar about something. But still, he's very he gives feedback to the community. You know exactly when it's going to update every week. 
and he's trained people. He's he'll tell people it's not going to be a large update, at, like as soon as the last one comes out and stuff like that. And uh, anyways, really enjoyable experience, especially because you can play it passively, so you can like watch TV and just you know play the dungeon run. So yeah, yeah I got to get back into it. I, I got so hooked on that game and then played out basically the content that was in it up to right. that point and now that this third hero everybody says the third hero is like really plays a lot differently than the first two which is really exciting yeah he has like orb things like it's like orbs you utilize so it's completely different than the the main two because they're they're a little similar but this one's definitely the the most different so ah, so exciting. it's a great game it really is yeah. so well designed mm-hmm. awesome um christian how about you what's on your playlist so i'm still playing god of war still not Super, super far in it because I was in Memphis for the past few days. I really thought about bringing my my PlayStation and like skipping some of the social events, being like, okay, I'm here to do some charity work, and then after that, I'll just sit in my room and <laughs> play. Nah, you gotta go to, you gotta go to that uh, Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't gonna be able to eat on the swamp inside a pyramid <laughs> next to downtown Memphis ever again. So uh, that was my uh, you're, one shot. You're squarely in in you know you're teasing teasing the. Uh the spoilers man you're like you're you're in the danger zone where they're just spoilers are flying and no no i'm not saying i'm saying you are poking the tiger you the the world is full of spoilers now and the fact that you are you are uh you know you're kind of taking your time with it i feel is it's rife with peril i'm not gonna play a game at a pace in which i do not want to play it because the internet is full of jerks. Really? You know, like, I'm not going to That's let, how people no. watch Netflix shows. People binge Netflix shows specifically because yeah, I don't they do know that, that everybody's going to be a jerk. Remember my social media position, Jeff? It's uh, so good. You should try it. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's it's real good. No, I, yeah, I understand that. But that whole be done with it first, it, not to do the bit, but I have a line in a longer joke where I hypothesize that uh, – in a year, Netflix will have an option just to click saying you've watched a thing. So you don't even need to watch it anymore to be first. You can just be like, <laughs> House of Cards Season 7, watched it. Um, yeah, that's that's what people care about. It'll be charged that extra. Yeah. DL, yeah. That's uh, uh, yeah, microtransaction. Yeah. But I'm still very much enjoying it. Um, also, yeah, it, did, it felt weird to take it and you know not uh, engage with the people that I was there to engage with. But what I did bring, because I was traveling and I had layovers in hotel uh, at airports and some late night hotel time, and it's much easier to travel with me. This baby boy jumped back into Breath of the Wild, Jeff. What? Uh huh. I have not killed Ganon yet, but I'm slowly making progress and actually a little faster now because I've decided that when I'm jumping back in. I'm going to use ye old guide to help me. So my rule is uh, if I feel frustrated within 15 minutes of attempting to do like actively trying to do something, I will access the guide. And so far so good. I oftentimes, you know, I talk about how I like playing games on easy often, but I, I tend to be one of those people that avoids guides and it's like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. But when it's a game that I've shelved for so long that I had a lot of enjoyment with, but, you know, put away and didn't see myself getting back into, I was like, you know what? I should use a guide. Like, what is my stigma for using a guide? Would I rather see this content or play and have fun with it with the help of a guide than not at all? And I might be, I might become a guide guy. Are either of you guide guys? No way. I hate, I hate Mm. being a guide guy. I've always been very anti-guide guy. Brandon? Think, yeah, I 
not generally the only times I will use them is if if like I which I gosh and this wasn't even back in the day because now I don't really care about collecting things but if a game has a lot of collectibles and I my OCD is firing off and I need them all and it doesn't give me like a look you know location map on natively in the game and then I will definitely go for a guide but other than that I I generally avoid guides and I think that's how I am for games on my current log but I'm wondering now for these backlog games when I have time to approach them again and clearly I haven't made time for them yet that maybe you know using a guide with some some rules in place for when I access it. For So for Zelda, if I'm in a shrine, I won't use the guide for the shrine. Like, that's a puzzle. I don't need to get it. That doesn't hamper my progress of the game, per se. Um, but if I'm on a Divine Beast and I spend 15 minutes on one aspect of a puzzle and I can't figure it out, and I'm at the point where I'm going to put the game down, I'm, I'm going to look. And uh, I did that over the, these past couple of days. And... Um, that, that game is, it holds up so well still. Like, how, you know, it's only, I guess, what, two years old now or whatever it is. But I think that is the game, Jeff, that you talk about how Shadow of the Colossus is, is, is such a rare game that it can be remastered and feel fresh. Um, I have a feeling Breath of the Wild might be that at, uh, mm, as well. Interesting. Well, a lot of games will learn from it and incorporate aspects of it. I don't know if anyone else will do it in such a pure and clean way. Um, even Nintendo again with their next Zelda game. I don't know if they'll be able to recreate the magic that 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 game has. I'll um, one up you. I I would I would bet that it doesn't. It's so sort of uh, universal that and the art direction is so strong that it won't even really ever need a remaster. It's not. It's it's an animated aesthetic that I think will never feel. Uh, so dated that it will seem like a limitation of technology. I think it will like uh, Okami. Yeah. Okami four four remasters later. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's that kind of approach. though, and I think the same was true of um, Wind Waker. Like when that came out, it got a lot of crap for its art style, but yes, the HD version looks good, but you can play that straight from disc today and it still holds up way better than so much of what else was released in its era. You ready for me to give you a bold prediction, a, a, a bold and, uh, uh, what was it? Um, I mean, cool Ranch. I feel like it's 2019 already, but yes, I'm ready. Cool Ranch. Uh, cool Ranch prediction. <laughs> sure. Uh, the Zelda. This is a far, far future <laughs> prediction. The Go Breath on. of the Wild remaster will be when it gets remastered into VR, because oh. that will be the technology where everything will feel old. If you just look at stuff on a 2D plane, that'll that, be its first remaster, or there will be a remaster. I think of that, that will be that will be. You'll see games like that remastered to catch up to that technology because that's the technology that will make games with universal art direction type situations feel outdated. Because why am I staring at this big 3D world on a 2D plane when I can be inside it? Well, I think Skyrim proves that these big RPGs can be great in VR. I I, I don't think it's too far fetched to think Breath of the Wild gets a VR. Um, I'm not saying next year, two point. years, no, no, right, five years. Right. I'm saying like at in, in the same way that Shadow of the Colossus, like 15 years later or ten, whenever it was, 10 years <laughs> later. I'm saying that's when you look back on on Breath of the Wild and you're like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to play it on today's technology? Today's technology is going to be fully immersive. You're inside it. 
I think you'll get a, a remaster of Breath of the Wild well before that, though. I hmm. think Brandon would agree with me there, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. <laughs> it depends on well, it depends on when my voice cracks. So right, um, <laughs> I think it depends on when Nintendo goes 4K because I absolutely think they're going to be like 4K version. Poo. Like interesting. You know. I don't no. think anybody so cares I, about needing to be in 4K, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, well, Apple's working on an 8K headset, according to uh, Mac. Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme. Just can't keep up. Gimme. And then the last thing for this week, um, when I got home, my daughter wanted to go fishing. So we did a bunch of Labo fishing, and she caught her first run of three in that if the fishing game. It gives you like a score and a weight after you catch three successive um, fish eye, I think is the plural of fishes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why the lens, the lens always, it's because it has multiple fishes in it, a fisheye lens. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well done, double dad. Um, <laughs> but she caught her first three on her own and it, you have to kind of do this kind of jerk with the rod before you reel in the bigger the fish. Um, you have to kind of finesse it a little bit more. She did that. It's real fun. She's still like, she's five. So she's, and she's a smart kid. Is it fun think- because it's fun or is it fun because you built the thing? both i would love if the if that fishing i mean buying the peripheral would be annoying but it's a it's a cool fishing mini game like i'm not going to play it for 20 hours but it's a cool fishing mini game and the way the string like you're on a real string that's tethered and has pull and then the way it goes into the screen and reacts accurately and like the hd rumble and the joy cons like i was gonna say my daughter's five she's a smart kid but she's still like occasionally i feel like i catch her like kind of peeking behind to see where the string go like is the string really going into the screen <laughs> like the fidelity and the accuracy of it is is really cool um awesome. maybe i'll bring it in this week i it's, would love um, to see it dude i I'm, i've been tempted to buy one i just just isn't conducive with my life right now but yeah i can I, only bring one thing in at a time because they are not small like <laughs> right yeah i don't have it but a friend sent me a picture i mean it's it's a backpack yeah like it's a, yeah a real like middle schooler sized backpack. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, my playlist this week is a little abbreviated. As I said, I had a child, um, but uh, I'm still cranking on frost punk, which I talked about last week. I still think is amazing, but also very depressing. It sold very well too. So yeah. that's another indie dev doing big things. Yeah. And I think another dev that communicated with their audience very, very well. Um, but I want to tell you about a game called for the King uh, and Brandon, if you like Slay the Spire, you may like this. Do you know about this game already? I think I've passively heard of it, but I haven't looked into it. It's been uh, in early access for a while. I didn't play it in early access, but it came out of early access into full release just, uh, what, the 19th, April 19th it came out. Oh, so uh, looks really good. Yeah. It, they call it a roguelike tabletop adventure. So, I mean, it, there's no more like Jeff buy this immediately yeah. advertising than that. So I plunked down. It's on. It's 20% off right now, uh, 15 bucks. I, I, I bought it. Uh, and it got it, its hooks into me pretty good. It's got a really interesting aesthetic. The, the graphics very much look like paper craft. It's kind of got a, mm. an angular look, really sharp, I think. Um, not super detailed, but I like that. Look, it, it grew on me very, very quickly. Um, and you are playing a, a very similar to a dungeon-crawling tabletop game, a hexagonal big world uh, where things are covered over by fog of war, so you don't see everything on the, on the map at first. But uh, you control three characters, and it's kind of odd because it's really built like a board game in the sense that it assumes... 
each of these three characters is autonomous. It's built for co-op. Uh, you can play it in co-op oh. and have each each uh, character played by an individual. But you can also play it as a solo game, which I did. But even in playing it as a solo game, you're not moving your party around like a party. You're moving each individual pawn on the on the uh, board at once. Uh, which is actually a little tedious. It's actually my biggest complaint about the game is if I, I, I haven't found a situation where I want my group to split up because that means almost certain death. Um, so I've wanted everybody to be in the fights as a group. So moving around the map means like, okay, I'm going to move this person, but I don't want them to move too far away because I don't want them to get into a fight by themselves. So they move a few spaces, then the next everybody moves up. And then, you know, it's sort of that, um, that rubber banding thing where you're like, oh, this moves forward and then everybody catches up. And then this guy moves forward and then everybody catches up. The thing uh, right. you put in the cardboard you just built, like that <laughs> rubber banding? Yeah, yeah, Lava style. Um, so that's really my biggest complaint so far. Also, it is a brutal game. It is a roguelike. And that's another conversation I want to have at the end of this. So remind me. Uh, but it's got some really cool, uh, interesting mechanisms in it. The, the combat is turn-based. I love turn-based combat. You get into these fights, you get into a much closer view, uh, you know, like a Japanese-style role-playing game would, and you control your guys, and it, everything is based on dice rolls of 100-sided dice, and based on your stats, your, your the, you know, the gear you're wearing and your base, you know, strength and intelligence and all the stats, that affects, it, it has modifiers on your dice rolls. And based on the weapon you're wielding, it uses a different stat for the dice modifier. Uh, but it rolls multiple dice for anything you want to do, and there's successes and failures on each die roll. So one of the stats on all your items is how many dice rolls you get, which I find to be a really interesting thing. And you also have this resource, which I believe is called Focus. I think it's called Focus. And that is like an automatic success. But you only regenerate your focus if you rest. So they're very precious. So you can go into any dice roll and just use up a focus on your character to get an automatic success and ensure that you're going to hit them or you're going to uh, escape or whatever you want to do. But there's a finite amount of being able to do that. And there's multiple roles within each uh, test. You know, it, it's it's pretty clever and pretty fun. Uh, you get, you know, you get loot. You go down into these dungeons, which are very roguelike in the sense that you're going deeper and deeper and deeper. You're not able to come back out until you finish that dungeon. But then the sort of broader overworld where there's roaming monsters and you can attack them at, at any point, and uh, you go and you get quests and you get better stuff. You know, your basic role playing game, but very much feels like a tabletop game. I dig it. It's called For the King, and uh, I, you know, I'm really, really liking it. Have you played any co-op? I have not. Or, okay, I have not. Uh, I think it would probably be way better uh, as a co-op game because it, you know, would feel like a dungeon crawling tabletop experience. Um, How and, long is a, a session typically? I know like roguelike that can mean like a minute or two, but like does it have a, a stopping point, so to speak, or like a no, game? no? You, you save and continue. You go until you die. Uh, that's this this kind of roguelike is how long can you go until you die, and that's really my biggest gripe. I I know I've been on this show many 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 times talking about how I love roguelikes when they're done right, and I do, but I kind of feel like not everything needs to be a roguelike, and I don't think this game needs it. I I kind of don't understand. I I understand the tension that you get of 
if you die, you lose all your stuff. And it, the game begins with this text box that says, you know, in very uh, fantasy language, it says, you know, many adventurers have tried and they all fail. So don't, you know, don't be sad if you fail. It's, it's all about the process, whatever. So it's, it's telling you, like, it's about doing it over and over. This game doesn't feel like that. You know, it's not like Children of Morta or Rogue Legacy or a lot of these, or even Slay the Spire, which is like, oh, how far did I get this time? Oh, how far did I get this time? This one feels like I'm playing this big campaign. I don't want to have to start over. I want to to save and keep going, and I want to be able to save, and if I die, revert back to that save. Like, that's the way this game feels, and I don't, I don't think it being a roguelike and me having to start over from the beginning because my entire team got wiped out. The other thing about this game that is is frustrating is you can revive a downed character, but you only get a finite amount of those. So you start with four revives. So I've already used three of my four revives and I'm like, well, I mean, come on. I, it, it just, it's just a ticking clock for me to lose instead of, this fun adventure that I'm having that I see no reason to limit me in that way and, and no reason to punish me in that way. It, it doesn't need to be a roguelike. It can just be this really cool tabletop style adventure game with saves. It just isn't. Hmm. Right. That's interesting. I feel like having not played this game, obviously um, it seems like that's kind of a core design principle for them was this sure, idea of yeah. it being a roguelike. And it, it almost seems like, Listening to you, you say that they've built too fun of a game. It doesn't, I, I feel like another way of saying that is that they didn't need the tension, right? Like Slay the Spire relies on that push your luck feeling, you know, how far can I get based on my resources? You know, like how do I manage how managing the resources is really fun, but for the king, ultimately what it does is it makes me play like a real timid person where I go out and I fight something and then I go back to the town and I pay for the healer to heal my team. Then I go out and fight something and I go back to the healer and heal my team. Cause you can go to the town and heal your team as long as you have gold and you get gold every time you win a fight. So it's like, I'm just going to play in a way that's tedious and shouldn't be how I would, how I should approach this game and it doesn't make it better. It, it doesn't, that tension isn't necessary. It, that push your luck aspect for this game doesn't feel like it's additive. It feels like it's taking away from this grand epic adventure feel, you know? Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. But huh. a game I'm, I can really, uh, really uh, honestly, um, um, recommend, especially at, at 15 bucks. I mean, I think it's a really cool game. I've heard that the difficulty spikes, uh, pretty hardcore, uh, you know, coming up, I've only played, I don't know, four hours of this thing. Um, so I'm still in the, in the early maps where, but I, you know, I've, I beat a, a few dungeons. It feels really fun. I've gotten some really cool items that made me feel super OP for a while. And, you know, it's, it's really fun. I'm just worried that the difficulty is going to spike. I'm going to, my team is going to wipe and then I'm going to be like, eh, screw this game. <laughs> <laughs> so. For the King again is what that is called. All right. So, let us move on now and talk about some other stuff. But I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Untuck It. Maybe you heard about me talk about Untuck It last week. Christian and I both got Untuck It shirts. Untuck We're going to have a where to, that, where to work day, right? Yeah, un- our Untuck It day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm always untucking it. Uh, I don't like tucking in my dress shirts. I, I like that look of, of being untucked. But unfortunately, a lot of untucked shirts – 
don't look great when they're untucked. They're, they're, they're like too jerseys. Long. It's like yeah. that's not supposed to. That, that's not how that's supposed to be. Yeah, it looks sloppy, or 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 even worse is I don't you know I don't really want to tuck my shirt in. So the cool thing about untuck it is that they're designed to be untucked. They're they're the right length where tucking it in doesn't work because they're just, you know, it, it doesn't go deep enough, but leaving it untucked, like looks super sharp and they're clean and it, it, it hangs just below the belt line, which is what you want. It's really cool. It's a casual shirt, but it also feels a little nicer than, you know, your average dress shirt. It's really cool. It's a, they say it's a go-to for any occasion from casual to dressy. And I would concur. I really dig, uh, my, my untuck it. Um, and they actually have uh, untuckets for for girls as well for females, um, so you should check that out. They're casual, versatile, and designed to last as well. So if you're a woman listening to the show, uh, there are untuckets for you as well. You should check this out. Um, we we are going to give you twenty percent off your entire purchase if you use our promo code DLC at checkout at untuckit.com. So check these shirts out. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I certainly was. Uh, I really like that look. Uh, of, you know, I, I roll up my sleeves. I leave my shirt untucked. I even do that with, sh- with shorts. Like I like wearing a pair of shorts and a uh, button up shirt rolled up the sleeves untucked. I thought you were going to say you roll up your shorts and leave the pants untucked. And I was like, wait, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean the, the untucked but- button up dress yeah. shirt with rolled up sleeves with shorts. Like I think that's a great look. And then even flip flops, you know, if you're looking, you look nice. Untuck it. Perfect for that. So check it out. Untuckit.com. Promo code DLC to get you 20% off your entire purchase. Uh, and you can also visit one of Untucket's over 25 retail locations across the country. So stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. I love that promo. Right now, right now. Brandon, you are a tabletop gamer. We just had international tabletop day felt like it was a good time to talk about some board games uh what have you been bringing to your table sure yeah it's um so last night actually i had never played cosmic encounters and i know in relative terms it came out what 2008 so it's theoretically old in the landscape of board games nowadays i think it's much older than that oh really i think cosmic encounters i mean i think it's a very old game uh, let me look it up. Cosmically, you... 2008. Cosmically, though. <laughs> uh, but go oh, ahead. Tell me your experience. Seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's almost 2008. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. I love that. So it, it honestly takes kind of. It's I, I tier games because we have over 80 board games at my house. Nice. <laughs> so we kind of think of them in our head as like party game and then not party game. So it's like, oh, we can play. <laughs> Secret Hitler, or we can play Dark Souls. Like, okay, well, it's a party, so let's not bust out Dark Souls. But <laughs> um, we'll go with that. And I think this actually sits right in the middle because there's bluffing involved. It's it's you can kind of you can play passively or actively, almost like a Splendor esque type thing. It still gets you to communicate. You can lie. Um, it's it's really fun. And also, I think the best part is multiple people can win. And I think most of the time, multiple people do win. So (laughs) it's just like, you don't feel bad for losing. You're not necessarily, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really fun game and actually really simple when you kind of break it down, which I enjoy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of negotiation. There are, um, unique, uh, different intergalactic races that you can be that all have unique powers. So no two games are alike. Uh, and, and no two strategies are alike because 
you're playing with basically a different rule set than I'm playing with because we have, you know, a different special ability that we can do. Um, yeah, Cosmic Encounter is really one of the classics and uh, a, a, a great, great game. And I think it plays yeah. up to eight people, doesn't it? I think this one's only five, but oh. I'm sure there might be an expansion that does that. But oh, you're right, it's, five, yeah. But if, again, I think it's a great transitional game as well. If you're like, okay, well, this person likes to play, you know, Cards Against Humanity or whatever, very basic party games. Let's let's try to take a step before we get to something more intense, but it's I think it's that type of game, which yeah. is cool. Again, that's called Cosmic Encounters. Yeah, and then um, have you all talked about Star Wars Legion? I have not played Star Wars Legion yet. I have two friends that have it. I've not been able to be at their house when it has been played, and I'm so jealous that you've got to play it. Is it awesome? Yes, it is awesome. <laughs> like, it's... It, I don't. Did you, have you played Warhammer? Have either of you played Warhammer? A little, not not very much. I, I right. yeah, tiny tiny amount, and then yeah, yeah. I okay, so it's fine because I used to hate Warhammer. My roommate here also loves Warhammer, super into it, I'm and Warhammer he was trying to get me to play. It's more than yes. less than liking. It's more intimidated. Yeah, you know, the best part about Warhammer is rolling like fifty dice. Like that's fun, but other than that, like there's like armor. There's all these different checks. Yeah. Anyways, then they redid Warhammer about a year ago and made it simpler to where someone like me who's dumb can understand it. And I actually started to like Warhammer, and what Legion did was even make Warhammer better, essentially. <laughs> so there's like – because now the very basic version is turns go back and forth. So instead of Warhammer where it's like you do an entire movement action and combat and all this other kind of stuff – in one turn and then 30 minutes later the next person gets to go and legion movement simplified so you you move and then the other person moves and you can respond based on their movement and attack or whatever so it's more of a give and take game where warhammer is more like passively you know looking at it uh so legion's great if you like warhammer but you want something faster and simpler i think go with legion how does the uh ip play like is is it strong like an inclusion or is it just um you want to you know. the Star Warsness of it? Yeah, do they uh, capture that in a way, or is it just kind of the wrapper for the game that you're playing? I would say it's probably the wrapper, to be honest. <laughs> but, but it's Fantasy Flight. Like they know what they're doing. Good wrapper. Yeah, but they, could, they could apply this to anything. The figures look fantastic. They're going to be really expensive, obviously. I think already <laughs> there's like a ninety dollar ATAT. So it's just yeah. So that's gonna it's it's an investment, kind of like Warhammer, but I think it'll it'll pay off. And the base set is actually, I think, a good value because you get you get you know a rebel faction and an empire faction and, and one of the bigger models, and you get Luke and, and Darth Vader. So I think, and that's like sixty seventy. So I think for something like that, it's 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 good. So yeah, if you like Warhammer, or if you've ever been intimidated by Warhammer, I think you might. You might enjoy Legion. Feels like being able to play Warhammer like starting on the ground level. You know what I mean? Like even the Warhammer lore feels intimidating. It's like, yes. what are these factions? Yes. What's going on? There are, yeah, well, there's a religion I need to know about for some reason. <laughs> yeah, my friend, the, the Bible. It's not. It's not as dense as the Bible, but also <laughs> it's denser than the Bible. So yeah. that's it. My friend talks about the Warhammer lore a lot, and he's like, "Well, what's great and awful about Warhammer lore is it's literally every." Every trope in sci-fi it takes yeah. and just applies to its universe. So anything yeah. popular over the last thirty years is gonna be wrapped into <laughs> war. 
<laughs> yeah, what if we just do that too? We'll just do it all. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, as you said though, it's been for 30 years. They've done an amazing job with keeping that franchise alive and I think relevant because of that stuff. Yeah. I think it's easy to kind of almost make fun of or roll your eyes at because it's been a stalwart for so long. But at the same time, like what other created IPs have spawned so many things and then also keep that core vision going, if that makes sense, where it didn't yeah. just become a video game or a comic or a movie or, you know, that became the thing that it's known for. It's like, it's still trucking along doing what it does and it, it does it well. Yeah, it's, it's, it is impressive, especially when you think about most games, it has you analyze strategy, but Warhammer is like, nope. It's tactics. It's tactics. <laughs> yeah, and that's different. That's the. That's, it's more of a commitment, but they commit to it. It's great. So I see on here you also listed a game I don't know anything about. Uh, oh. World Championship Roulette. Yeah, I missed the word here. World Championship Russian Roulette. Ah. So it's been it's been wedding season, which has been uh, very fun. But like a lot of like traveling to Austin and you know just a lot of wedding events and. World Championship Russian Roulette has been played because it's a, a game a lot of people haven't played, and B it's just really fun. Have I rather you played it now that I put in the magic Russian word? Is that <laughs> when you're at a wedding and you put a gun on the table and you have the groom yes. spin and say, "Are you no, sure, that's dude?" A shotgun wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Deer Hunter. You guys are like a Deer Hunter wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's it's really fun. Anthony Birch actually uh, was a designer on it, I think, but it's. Take the concept of Russian roulette where you have a you have cards, right? And there are there are four blanks or so there's six, right? There's six and you can basically there's a gun, there's a bang in it, and then there's blanks on the rest of them. And at the beginning of the turn, you pocket something. So you can either pocket a blank or you can pocket a bang. And then you bet how many times you're gonna pull your gun. And so you can be like, I'm gonna pull it two times. And just risk it. Like, hopefully I won't, nothing will happen. Or you can be like, I'm going five, like, just because you're an insane person. But if you say you're betting five, someone will probably call you out as a liar. And then you have to reveal if you're lying or not. Um, mm. And then, so it's it's really fun because there's that, you know, there's that phase where you're like, are they lying? I don't know. And then on top of that, there's that phase where everyone at the same time is flipping cards to see if they, you know, if they shoot themselves or not and then die for that round. Uh, and there's also powers involved that kind of build on top of each other. It's a really fun party game. Huh. Uh, it's, it's yeah, World Championship Russian Roulette. I, I highly recommend that if you and your friends are looking for another game in that arsenal. Because I think you can play with up to six people as well, which is which is pretty good for a party game. Man, I have not heard of that game. That sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds I, I really like it. Really like it. Uh, I have played Muse. Have you played Muse yet? I have not. So this is a party game that's sort of like Dixit. Uh, it's got these mm -hmm. enigmatic looking, uh, beautifully illustrated cards that are sort of, they look very dreamlike. These images that are not anything, one thing specific, but they're, you know, it's like a rabbit and a sunset with, you know, giant lollipops and, uh, you know, a ship in the background or something. It, it's uh, right. these very strange images and a whole deck of these cards. And this is, it's sort of like Dixit in teams. Uh, Dixit was that where you were trying to get people to describe it, uh, but not describe it too well. And that's kind of what you're doing with Muse. You're one team, um, selects one of these, one of, I guess, six of these cards, uh, in any given turn. And says, uh, we challenge somebody on your team to get 
your team to guess this card. And then there are a number of restriction cards that give you a special rule that make it harder for you to give clues. So for example, you may only be able to draw something in the air with your finger, you know, like, or uh, you'll only be able to make a shadow puppet or, you know, you'll have to um, only say a word that starts with the letter C or something. Uh, So, these weird rules. So what happens is the team whose turn it is, well, the, the, the one team selects the image that they have to get the other team to guess and selects the rule that they're going to apply. And then the other team, uh, you know, has a person who sees that card and then they lay down six cards of which the one that was selected is one and ha- has to convey that image to their team abiding by the special rule. And you have to see if your team guesses the right image. So, a lot of wacky stuff can happen and uh, a lot of really bizarre clues that, you know, are trying to get you to look at these images. And some of them, you know, there'll be a rule like you can only use a, a color to tell the person what, what card it is. And so you, you really only have the colors to, to you know, choose from. So you're like green, yeah. but green is on every card and red is on every card. And But what does one card like speak red? You know, is it like more <laughs> yeah. red than the others? Uh, so it's fun. It's, you know, it's, it makes you kind of have that outside the box thinking and, um, it's good because it's a team game. So you can really play infinite number of players, you know? Uh, and it's, it's clever. I, I enjoy it. Dixit's a game I really love. It's in my collection and Muse, um, is a really fun twist on it as well. Yeah. It all sounds like a, uh, evolution of code names as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, everybody's kind of doing their version of code names at this point. Uh, That's true. I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I played Marvel code names recently, by the way. Sorry to interject. No, that is hard. Marvel code names is hard. Yeah, <laughs> because you're like, oh, I don't know as much about Marvel as I thought. <laughs> it's like th- not all these are Dazzler. I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, uh, let's. I want to get to some quick questions uh, really fast, but let us thank our final sponsor. This is a great one. This is a new sponsor. I'm really excited about. And what a week uh, for this sponsor. Sherry's Berries is the sponsor, and it's. I'm being completely honest with you in saying they became a sponsor this week. Uh, I had a child, uh, a new baby girl named Zoe, very proud uh, of her and brought her home from the hospital this week. And what was waiting for us at our house when we got there was a box of Sherry's berries. You think, oh, well, obviously it's because you're being sponsored by Sherry's berries. No, no, no. My wife's grandma sent us Sherry's berries uh, as a gift. uh, And I tell you, we got, flowers from a lot of people we got lovely cards my favorite gift was the sherry's berries because you know flowers are nice and all my wife likes flowers they die they were around for a while they looked pretty sherry's berries is straight up delicious it that is the gift to give you and you got mother's day coming up i'm telling you give your mom some sherry's berries it's better than flowers everybody's giving their mom flowers sherry's berries comes beautifully I, we loved unwrapping it and comes in this cool like padded box that keeps the berries cold and fresh and these are not your typical strawberries uh, and, and honestly sherry's berries has a whole bunch of stuff other than the strawberries we happened to get the strawberries from my wife's grandmother and i loved them because they are chocolate dipped strawberries these are gigantic huge and delicious and we got the variety pack with uh, dark chocolate, white chocolate, and uh, milk chocolate with nuts on it. Oh, my God. They're so 
good. They're so good. I loved them. And uh, I think this is going to be my go-to gift from now on because it's so much better. And not everybody is doing it, right? Not everybody everybody sends flowers. Not everybody sends a delicious uh, treat that you can enjoy that tastes great, but also is fresh and really feels good to eat, feels decadent. And right now, you can get Sherry's Berries starting at $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Or check this out. You can also double the berries for just $10 more. There, there's a special promotion right now because you listen to this show. Double the berries, $19.99 plus shipping for, for some delicious Sherry's Berries. Or double the berries for just $10 more. They'll arrive in the Sherry's Berries signature gift box with a beautiful ribbon. No gift wrap is required. These are delicious. And there's only one way to get this amazing deal for your mom, for Mother's Day, for your loved ones. Freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 plus shipping and handling. And you can double the berries for $10 more. Mother's Day on May 13th. So visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com today and click the mic in the upper right-hand corner and then enter code DLC. So you got to click on that mic. Don't forget to do that. And you'll get this special offer. That's berries.com and the code DLC on that mic in the upper right corner. All right, we're going to do some quick questions. These are submitted by listeners uh, either on our Reddit at 5x5dlc.reddit.com or at our email address, which is uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. First one comes from Charlie from New Jersey. He says, hey, guys, quick question. How long is too long for a game to get good? For instance, I heard someone say that if you could get through the first four to six hours of Assassin's Creed Origins, it got really good. Is that too much time to invest to hope that a game gets good? Brandon, you just started Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, I don't know if that game isn't good yet for you, but is there, a, is there a too much to invest in a game before it gets good? I Yes, I think so, and I think that all has to do with um, how the developer teases out the world and the mechanics. So what that means is when someone says it's not good, they mean it's not fun. So that means they mm. haven't got their very core-ness fun yet, and they should have introduced that sooner. Uh, an example actually from Sunset Overdrive is I think it took a little too long to get the air dash in the game because mm. the air dash is behind about two hours of content. And yeah, when you have I the agree. air dash, when you have the air dash, it, like the game opens up and becomes really fun. So I would have actually, like in retro, I'm, you know, an armchair game designer right here, but like I think at that point people will be like, oh, it gets really good when you get Air Dash. And it's like, okay, well, on the second time around, let's have Air Dash right from the beginning because then that's where it, quote, gets good. Yeah. So it, I mean, it depends. This is the equivalent yeah. of uh, you got to get through season one of Buffy, right? You got you to gotta get through season one. Yes. <laughs> you got to get through season one. Uh, Christian, do you have uh, – how long is too long to, for a game to get good? I don't know if I have a number of hours per se, but it's just uh, Final Fantasy. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. whatever that always takes (laughs) yeah no there's never been a final fantasy game that you don't have to endure several hours uh before it gets good nino kuni 2 is like that for me this year too uh where i was like oh oh this is the game and then two hours later oh oh this is the game um yeah a lot of japanese style role-playing games really take their time setting things up or better example i know this is blasphemy for a lot of people listening but you guys know how I feel about Persona 5. Uh, I, 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 that game took too long to get good and I was just, I was done. I was not, I didn't, I couldn't invest in the getting good. Yeah. 
I yeah. think Monster Hunter does a great job at it because that's a game with mm. a billion systems, but their core mechanic, all this stuff was introduced right up front, and yeah. you're immediately hooked. Yeah, I, I agree. Think, yeah, Brandon's point is good. It's a great one too, though. It's about like you're not having fun with it versus get good. To some extent, I think Destiny Two or both Destinies kind of suffered from that. Also, it's, beat the I, game, it's, beat the game yeah. before it gets good. Yeah, right. And it's, it's not. I don't know if it's necessarily get good per se. Maybe this is changing the question a little bit. So sorry, Charlie. I I realized I was saying sorry, Charlie, as I said it. Sorry again, Charlie, for that. Um. <laughs> But it's when does the game shift into the thing that everyone will be talking about? Because right. the first part of Destiny, I think, is good. But when people talk about Destiny, that's not what they're talking about. It's that end game, what are you doing for the rest of your life or for the rest of the month kind of content. And that, I think, is is a slightly different question because the first part can be fun, but you're almost rushing through it to get to the end game. And then I think if I were to assign a, a kind of arbitrary hour mark, I think it should be under eight Enough to yes. get your feet wet, yeah, for but sure. not so much that, you know, you have to make a serious commitment to it. I think it's got to be under two. I think it's got to be in that first hour, you got to get hooked in some way. You know, I really do think yeah. that. All right. Uh, second one. Uh, this comes from Craig Rapp. He says, a quick question. What does it take for you to jump into a series you haven't played early installments of? Uh, or are familiar with, unfamiliar with the lore. For example, the new God of War and The Witcher 3 both come highly recommended, but part of me hates jumping into something when there's a prior story that I'm unfamiliar with. Do you have a rule of thumb for jumping into a series that's ongoing? Brandon? Uh, I'm not sure. Usually I won't jump in if it's like super story tied, I guess. I'll try to go back and play, but like DMC, Devil May Cry, I love that game. Never played the old ones, and that was purely based on the repertoire of uh, the developer. Yeah. Um, just because I was like, oh, I love that developer. This looks like a lot of fun. I'll hop in. But story-wise, I don't think I've ever really done that where I've just like jumped in. Yeah, I do not care about this with video games, which is weird. Like I wouldn't do it with a TV show. I wouldn't do it with a, a sequel to a movie. I'd feel like I need to see the first movie. Video games, I do not care. I, I, I recommend people play whatever the game is that they want to play. You don't need to play the other ones first. I, I just don't, don't think you need to. I, I think most video games, because they're such big, deep, long experiences, they tend to be episodic in nature anyway. I mean, even the Uncharted games, I was just like, if you want to play four, play four. It's a complete story. You don't, I mean, yeah, there's stuff maybe, but I don't, I don't, I don't think you need to. Um, yeah, do you I think, think you also hit fatigue. Yeah, as yeah. Well if you do that, Anyways. I would say the same thing applies to movies and TV shows. I think the difference is you wouldn't tell someone to come in on the fifth level of Uncharted Four. You would right. say play Uncharted Four. So a TV show, wait for a new season. But the best shows or most great shows and competent shows do audience onboarding uh, on a new season because they know that's when people will be jumping on. And movies are the same way. People, should I see Infinity War? Yes, I haven't seen any of the other Marvel movies. Okay, does this one look good to you? Yes, go see it. Um, you'll ha you'll have fun, and, and I think that applies for video games also. I want to tell someone to say you should play Telltale's Walking Dead. Start with episode three. Right. You know, it's like if you want to play season one, you, you need to play but season one if, to play season two. No, but like you I, one of my you can jump in. One of my favorite shows on TV right now is uh, Last Man on Earth, and even 
starting a new season, I think people jumping in that would be like, this is gobbledygook. This doesn't make any, make any sense. Yeah. I was like, it's so builds on previous seasons that I, I just can't imagine anybody just stumbling on the show is like, what the hell is even happening with this thing? Well, I can and, tell you the network wants people to stumble on it and, yeah. and find and start. Yeah. I know they'll say, yeah. like, you know, stream on the app to catch up or whatever, but shows every season, the way most, and maybe it's changing now with Netflix a little bit, but I think even with them, the way shows are structured, it's every new season is the new 52, right? Yeah. Every season is right. Superman number one right. again, where they do a little bit of retconning if they need to, and then onboard the audience and start a new arc to get people excited. And even ones shows like Justified that maybe have one long story arc throughout it, each season is, is self-contained enough. But to answer <laughs> Craig's question, um, yeah, no. Play If a game seems exciting to you, play it. Yeah. I don't think it matters to go back. All right, last one. This comes from David from Washington, D.C. He says, uh, quick question. You talked about having uh, to not spend a lot of time with a game because you have to move on to the next game. If you could go back or if you could go on sabbatical from everything for six months, what past games would you go back to? Brandon, it sounds like you're kind of doing this in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I, I I absolutely loved Dragon Age Origins mm. before I went home for Christmas. And then I played like... I played like, I think 30 hours of it and was obsessed with it for a week. And then when I got back home, all of a sudden there was just this monumental shift in my gameplay where I hated open world games. <laughs> so I think I really actually want to go back and try that one again because I'm a little more open to open world games. You can play that game point. for 30 hours and not leave the hinterlands. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There was so much. And then there was just, it was this weird point where I got back to it. And I just got because I went through a phase where I got super stressed out by open world games, um, yeah. just because of you could do anything, and I really hated that. But now I I would want to go back to that one. Christian, how about you? You got a, a game or two that you would you would return to if you were free to play anything? I mean, it that is a great question and one that gives me a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about all the great things I didn't finish that I I want to and and set out to. Um, I'm doing it a little bit with Breath of the Wild right now, so that, you know, I, I do enjoy my time with that game. Um, but honestly, I think I would want to go back to, uh, the 16-bit era and finish some of those RPG, finish restart, cause I don't know where I left off. Um, but I, I think I'd want to play, like, some, some old, um, like Final Fantasy 3. Mm. I, I never finished. Wow. Um, so you go, you wanna... go in the Wayback Machine. Yeah, that, that that the first Super NES one, or is that uh, still SNES? I'm still NES. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I Wait, could be getting the three. number. It takes it takes too long to get good in that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but some of those, some of those is what I would go back to. It's like me and a, only a retro console to make me do it because otherwise I get distracted by new and shiny. And a lot of those games do take time to build. I'd want to play Super Metroid again. Um, that's yeah. what I would. I, I'd bring my SNES Classic back with me. Is what wow. I would do. Not me, man. I got, I got games now that, I mean, I think that the thing that I would do if I could literally just take six months to just not have any responsibilities whatsoever, right at this moment, I would play Skyrim in VR with all the mods, you know, just replay Skyrim, but do it in VR. I I just can't find the time to fit that hundred hours into my life with all the other things going on. You don't have to take care of your kid if you can't see your kid. That's That's the rule. That's the first rule of parenting is, uh, Is cover my eyes and they and they disappear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that would be the big one that I would go. And I also never finished um, 
the Witcher three blood and wine expansion, mm-hmm. which was really good. I'd love to go back and do that. And I'm sure there's like six other things that are still in my steam library that I haven't, that I was like, I'll go back to that. I won't uninstall it. And then, you know, it's, it's there. Anyway, uh, great question though. Thanks everybody. Again, you can send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or post them on our subreddit. But that is going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Brandon Winfrey, thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you all. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Where can people keep up with you and what you're doing on the internet? Just uh, be Winfrey on Twitter and Instagram. I'll, I'll be there. I'm trying to be more active on social media. I kind of flew away from it for a little bit. But, yeah, I think I have – I wrote video game raps recently, and I think those videos will come out in, like, June or something. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. Really <laughs> random. Uh, Christian, we heard a little bit about what you are doing uh, with regard to uh, St. Jude's, but uh, anything else you want to plug? No, I gotta, I'll get a schedule up for when I'm going to be streaming, playing some of those retro games I got back from my folks' house. Speaking of <laughs> spending six months with retro games for some of the streams I'll be doing for, for play live. So look to Twitter, which is just at Spicer or my website, christianspicer.com when I get that schedule up. And while you're there, you can donate to St. Jude and, uh, help sick kids battle cancer. Awesome. Uh, I have uh, other shows, including We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show. You should check it out. It's only 20-minute episodes. You can find them at wehaveconcerns.com. And I also have uh, a movie and TV review show called Slash Filmcast. This week, we're talking about what else? Avengers Infinity War. Not going to want to miss that episode. should be a, a really good one. Uh, you can find that at slashfilmcast.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Brandon, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, Black Lightning is now on Netflix. Check it out. It's it's good, and I think it, it deals with topics in a way that maybe um, – uh, Power Man, not Power Man, Luke Cage. <laughs> that Luke Cage kind of skirted around. Black Lightning kind of takes it on directly. It's it's interesting. Awesome. Black Lightning yeah. on Netflix. Very good. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, it's an older show. I already mentioned it once in this episode, but what got, got me back into it was uh, Far Cry 5, actually, but Justified. Oh, all so good. Six seasons, five seasons, six seasons. All think- All seasons are on Amazon Prime. And so you can get in and, and binge all of them before they raise the rates of uh, Amazon Prime yeah. on us all here in a little bit. Yeah. But it is really well done. Um, Great ending and, too, man. Not many yeah. many seasons or series uh, wrap up so so well. And God, I'm such an Ola fan. I love him. Yeah, it's, it's Timothy Olyphant as your main protagonist and Walter Goggins. Goggins? Goggins. Goggins, yeah. Goggins as your main antagonist, who you might know from The Shield, which is also excellent. But they're all on Amazon Prime. My favorite line from Justified, which has so many great lines, but my favorite line from Justified is he uh, he takes a bullet with his in his fingers and he tosses it at a guy at his chest. And he goes, the next one's going to come at you a lot faster. Yeah. <sighs> so it's, it's, good! It's full of them. Um, like, uh... <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do? Kill me? No. You're gonna wish I killed you. And like, <laughs> so it's, it's said so early, and then pays off so well. Yeah. It's it's really well written, and a lot of people won uh, awards for it as well. It's, it's a well done show. So. 
Uh, we got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Jake uh, Brozovic. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He says, when listening to uh, this week to Christian talk about Nintendo Labo and the joy his daughter was getting from it, it made me think of a series of children's books by Arthur, uh, by author Peter Reynolds. This is for listeners with young children who want some inspiring stories that spark conversations with your little one. I thought that both you and Christian would love to share these with your children and congrats on the newest Kanata edition. Ah, thank you, Jake. Uh, the book that most relates is going places, which is about a boy who is so excited to get constructing his go-kart, but learns that following instructions might not always lead the place you think the other two books that relate is one called dot and another called ish. Both have similar themes to going places, but build on the conversation. Ish is about being good-ish at things, while Dot is to do with the idea that art is in the eye of the beholder. All three books are truly important to share with young kids as you guide them on their journey to adulthood. Your local library, which has appeared as a parting gift before, is a wonderful place to let kids explore these books. Uh, Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Very, very cool. Uh, Again, those are from uh, Peter Reynolds, the author of those books. My parting gift uh, is an HBO documentary series uh, that was is two parts. Both are two hours long. It's from Judd Apatow, and it's called The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. And uh, it uh, blew me away. I watched it over the last two nights with my wife and mom, who is in town uh, because of the birth of our child. And we were all just riveted. It is inspiring. It is beautiful. It is a window into an artist that I admired very, very deeply based on his two TV shows and stand-up career. But the insight into who he was as a person, his goodness, uh, really a guy who made the world a better place uh, in a lot of ways, complicated and interesting, just a great documentary. The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling on HBO. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Brandon Winfrey and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all of you in our chat rooms uh, over there at caffeine.tv slash Jeff Kanata and twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer for hanging out with us in real time and making the show better. We also want to thank our musical contributors, which are P- uh, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers that you hear between segments. And thanks to all of you who, who download the show. It means a lot to us. It makes the show work. We appreciate it. We'll be with you next week. As always, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.